And if you love futuristic musical disco orgies with rapey songs about coming, then boy, do I have a movie for you. And this one, it's fun for the whole family. Because shockingly, this one's rated PG. (laughs) What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades. The adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we look forward to a future-themed duel where I'll be competing with the future theme picks of 1980 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. Straight from the 90s, aboard the Satellite of Love, it's the media king of the North, Joe Finley. That threw me off so much being the first person introduced. (laughs) That really messed with me. Um, Well, I'm looking forward to this because uh, the man with the gavel is usually uh, jumping all over my picks anyways. So I'll be interested to see what he says in an official quality, uh, in an official uh, capacity. (laughs) Capacity. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. I follow you. (laughs) Also on the dais this week, serving up the 70s vision of the future. Say hello to the host of the Garbage Pail Flicks podcast, Chucky Balzac. Hey, I'm back. Chucky from the Garbage Pill Flicks podcast channel on YouTube. Uh, this is my third appearance. Am I am I a regular yet? Or? <laughs> anyway, uh, I got to win this one because I have 1970 and uh, third time's a charm. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> and as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. This week's guest judge is no stranger to fans of Dueling Decades. Back behind the bench, it's the one they call Man Crush. Is this where I I talk now? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, all right. This is weird. This is fucking bizarre being on the other side. It's been a long time since I've been the judge of this game, but these guys were tired of me kicking their ass for the past three (laughs) years, so they decided I needed to be on the other side. Uh, But I do have a gavel. I have something to flip. And uh, wait, what? What did you say this episode? What's the uh, what's the theme? The future. <laughs> like the year 2000. <laughs> like that? Yeah, it's like a the bit. future. So it's 1970 versus 1980 versus 1990, the future. Oh man, this is going to fucking blow my mind. All right, <laughs> so we got 197. I'm going to I'm going to take notes. But that's it. That's all I got continue grab your flux capacitors guys let's go (laughs) all right so for the coin toss this week it's going to be between joe finley and chucky balzac chucky why don't you call it all right tails all right so i'm gonna flip this Uh, nobody can see this because we're not recording it but just so everybody sees this is a a pin that uh higginson tom higginson sent me this it's for the boombox crew so we'll go front of the pin that will be heads Silver side tails. What would you say, Chucky? Tails? Okay. Let's go with, no, I'll go with the palm tree side. Oh, he's <laughs> changing shit. All right, I mean, go. it's cold here in Chicago. It's freezing. Yeah. Oh, dude. You should have stuck with it. Uh, got it's because it's too damn, too damn cold here. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you're up. All right. I think we're going to uh, start off with the music round. And I want to take you to uh, February 6th, 1990. Uh our dear friend Billy Idol was in a motorcycle accident. This is covers a lot of ground. This covers some music, covers some music news, covers a lot of things. And Billy Idol being in a motorcycle accident doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the future. Uh, but what happened to him certainly does. Uh, he was hurt pretty bad. He wasn't able to walk for a while. He had to shoot a video shortly after this 
uh, injury and he couldn't walk uh, and he had to shoot the video for Cradle of Love from the uh, Ford Fairlane soundtrack. I still got it. If you ever notice, you'll notice you only ever see him from the waist up because he's sitting down uh, for the entire uh, video shoot. But that's small potatoes to what happened to him because his future was very much uh, affected by this. Uh, It cost him a couple of acting roles, uh, one of which uh, he had a fairly large uh, spot in Oliver Stone's uh, The Doors, uh, which he ended up getting a little bit part in it because it's all he could have time to shoot. But here's the kicker. There was a role written for him uh, from a pretty big deal director. He was supposed to play the T-1000 in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and he couldn't do it due to this injury. So so his whole future as an actor was affected by not being able... What a different movie that would have been. (laughs) To be in this movie. So what I give you is Billy Idol, the iconic musician who almost was an iconic action star but it was not to be. Wow. wow that blew my shit. mind, man. Yeah. Especially the T-1000 thing. Holy Yeah, Moses. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I cannot picture what that movie would have been like oh, with man. Billy Idol. Excellent. I, I didn't even probably know about as good it. as the uh, Nicolas Cage Superman. <laughs> I, I didn't even know about it, but I was reading about it, and apparently T-1000 was written with him in mind. And they, and they, had, to cast, <laughs> they had to cast around him. Wow. I would pay to see that. Everything, my whole everything <laughs> to see that. <laughs> wow. What he would have said, I mean, come on. I mean, what, it, there would have had to been a music video to accompany it, you know, like some kind of cross promotion, you know, he would have done like it been on the soundtrack instead of Axel, you know, come on. Have you seen awesome. this boy? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Chucky, what did you bring for the music round? Well, my friend, I don't know about you guys, but for a long time, I was really into countdowns and lists, uh, you know, those videos, the clickbait. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I enjoy and I also enjoy making, you know, lists and creating mixtapes. And, uh, you know, throughout my whole life, I, you know, always wanted to be a DJ. So, you know, this is the closest thing I've gotten to it was podcasting. <laughs> and, um, you know, with that in mind, um, uh, you know, today we make lists all the time, you know, a lot of, a lot of websites, you know, you know, top movies and sports teams and top TV shows and the inter- interwebs full of stuff like this. Uh, thousands of different uh, ways to look at it. Um, and it was all in a way sort of started uh, when a Flint, Michigan slash Ca- uh, California disc jockey voice actor, Casey Gasum hit the airwaves in ni- early 1960. Uh, with the help of the infamous Dick Clark, he was hosting dance uh, club shows on TV from the 70s and 80s. But uh, what I'm getting to is the 4th of July of 1970. Uh, America was finally able to hear the best of the best, the week in music. And uh, since I'm dueling for 1970, give you guys a little taste of what the you groovy dudes were in for in 1970 that weekend. The top five of the top 40, Casey Kasem. I'll try to do my best, Casey Kasem. Here it is. The mamas and the papas. Mama told, or uh, no, <laughs> no, the, no, I'm sorry. I uh, see that the, 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 uh, yeah, it just threw me off. Okay. So the number, uh, number five was, uh, Frida Payne, Band of Gold. Number uh, four, uh, Ride Captain Ride by Blues, Blues Image. Uh, number three, The Temptations, Ball of Confusion, which if you want to compare it to the future, we are in a ball of confusion, aren't we, fellas? Uh, that's, uh, uh, pretty much describes it perfectly. Uh, number two, Jackson five, the love you save. And number one, the reason why it all threw me off was mama told me not to come home by three dog night. That was the first top 45. The first time the top 40 was aired. That was what was 1970. The best selling and most played songs from the Atlantic to the Pacific from Canada to Mexico. Uh, Casey Kasem did the top 40 that week and continued on broadcasting the lists, the list show until August 6, 1988, when Casey Norville Shaggy Rogers Kasem left to um, do vo- more voice acting and uh, made room for Shadow Stevens, who took over until January of 95. Shadow Stevens. Shadow Stevens. Uh, and when the original uh, AT40 uh, program came to an end, it was uh, hosted by Ryan Seacrest. Three years later, Casey did come back, though, 
and uh, he teamed with a, um, a radio net network to relaunch uh, the Top 40 station, or the Top 40 show, rather. Casey spent nine years hosting the show again after he did his own Casey's Top 40 for Westwood One. And he returned to, you know, hosting, uh, yeah, until Ryan Seacrest took over in 2004. And I think he drove it into the ground, so. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, Kasem retired, died in 2014, it looks like. And, yeah, so America's Top 40, hosted by radio personality Casey Kasem, uh, became the first successful national syndicated radio program featuring a weekly countdown that we all kind of use today. Um, and fast forward, yeah, we got lists and all of the, all that on the interweb. And rest in peace, Casey Kasem. He's no Wolfman Jack, but he's all right in my book. <laughs> all right. And Corey Feldman banged his daughter, and I saw he had that interview on Stern. It's uh, pretty hilarious. From It's like the late 90s. I don't even know how I found it, but it's uh, it's gold. All right, Mark. That's amazing. Close me out with 80. <laughs> all right. For my music selection, we're going to go to Trilogy, Past, Present, and Future. The 62nd, yes, 62nd studio album from Frank Sinatra. So the story on this one is in 1979, old blue eyes was in the middle of a recording session for a new album. When his longtime producer, Sonny Burke walked in and he stopped everything because he had a new idea for a project. So after selling this one to Frank for a little bit, Frank walked out and he said, that's it. We're not doing anything else until I do this project. This new project was released in 1980. It was a triple album, eventually titled Trilogy, Past, Present, and Future. Its massive production would employ 200-plus musicians and backup singers. It would take more than a year to complete. It uh, peaked at number 17 on the Billboard 200 charts. Uh, viewed as Sinatra's last concept album, the first record on this trilogy set is called The Past. That includes standards about you. You know, songs like uh, It Had to Be You, This Song Is You, All of You. Now, the second record, The Present, uh, is Frank covering the hits. You get Frank's take on classics like Love Me Tender, George Harrison's Something, and Billy Joel's Just The Way You Are. But it's the third record entitled The Future, where this one really kind of falls apart. In a preview of the album in the Dalton Daily News, April 6, 1980, by John Marlowe, kind of sums it up best with, After a painful listening, I am now convinced that this is a bad joke. This is an overblown and insipid arrangement. Frank takes off on a satellite spaceship to visit Mercury, Venus, Pluto, and then delivers such a berserk lyric as, how will you know it's heaven if they meet me at the station with a cheese and tomato pizza? It borders on ludicrous and sometimes slips across the border, and only Sinatra's pipes uh, kind of make you want to listen to this one. So that's what I got for this one. It's uh, past, present, and future. Frank Sinatra, the triple album in uh, 1980. Go check it out if you're a big uh, Frank fan. All right. All right, so let's kick this one over to our judge for this episode. Man Crush, what's your ruling on the music round? Is this a best of or worst of? This is a best of. <laughs> I was just wondering. Just wondering there. All right, so let's uh, let's start at the beginning. So Joe came in 1990. You got Billy Idol in that motorcycle accident. I remember that. Rock the Cradle Love. Loved the video. Remember he had the hot chick came over. It was like, it was on MTV all the damn time. Tony Katane, right? No, it was not. It was like uh, no. it was a younger chick, oh, younger I, than I, him. I know I, it was some. It was she was. A, I can't remember who she was. I thought it was Tawny Katane for some reason. Joe, you can go. <laughs> actually, whoever wants to look that up, go ahead and look it up. All I right, so it. here we go. <laughs> Gonna have to look her up later. Um, but then you said the the future part of your pick, and that's why I was wondering when you were going to get to that because like, wait a minute, he got into an accident, so what? So he was going to be in T two. I don't know if that's Correct. a good thing or a bad thing because I love T2. I remember going to the movies to see T2. My uh, my mom took me and my cousin to go, and it, it blew my fucking mind, that whole thing, and the whole thing with Guns N' Roses. So would that have ruined the soundtrack, having Billy Idol there? It's, I don't know. It's like, And then 
10 years later, he would have been the uh, he would have been like a cuck for uh, Fox Mulder on X-Files. <laughs> so that that's where his career could have been going. Uh, but instead, he he got Wedding Singer, which I don't think was too bad. He got he got that role in Wedding Singer, and it was pretty meaningful. So that that's a good one. But it threw me off. I don't know if this was a a best of or worst of round. Uh, Chucky, uh, you came with the uh, the first top forty. That's probably the most positive thing in this whole round, and that's something that I selected on a previous episode. I believe it was uh, when it ended the first time in 1988. Yeah. So I remember going through that that whole thing with uh, Casey Kasem. And if you agree to never do Casey Kasem again, I'll uh, I'll give you the round. Like I said, he's no Wolfman Jack. So, right. you know, it was just a, yeah. Then Mark, Mark came with something that it actually sounds like it would be pretty, uh, pretty big. But according to the theme of the show, I, I get it. Because he's got the three albums. The last one's called The Future. But the first album you said is 60 seconds? No, it's not 60 seconds. <laughs> oh, I thought, you, I thought that's what you said. I thought you said it was a 60-second album. <laughs> no, album number 62. It was his 60-second <laughs> album. Oh, because the way you said 60-second. 60-second <laughs> album. Said, it was a 60-second <laughs> album. You know what, six, Mark? Two. You fucking lose this round just because of that. I got to give this one to Chucky <laughs> because that was my selection, and Chucky said he'll never do Casey Kasem again, and if he does, nope. he's, nope. he's done. He's going to be banished <laughs> like uh, Mike Ranger. <laughs> Hopefully Mike comes back, though. Hopefully Mike comes back. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Chuck, you take this oh, round, buddy. Man. Thank you. And, but uh, Joe, crap. Joe, I yours is good, but like I said, I don't know if that would have been better or worse for him. It, this is tough to decide. Best, you know, what's best or worst on this one? Yeah, this is a tough well, it one. was more about his future than yeah. anything else. It's just like his, like his trajectory. Yeah, know, I figured that, out. but I think about myself all the time. So I was thinking about I, what I was watching on TV. That, I don't know if I want to see that. That's fair. I just love how we all took away from it that he was going to be in T2, and that's like the only thing we took from him. <laughs> he was going to be in T2? Really? Man, that's I crazy. never heard that, though. That's a, that's a great thing. Me neither. How would he have ran with his, given the injury? He wouldn't have ran yeah. as cool as Robert Patrick, I'll tell you that much. I can't picture him running before the injury with all that shit that he wears. It's just a, it's a light jog with a clinkle clinkle <laughs> he's got fucking chains on like mr t and shit and he's got a fucking biker cut on all the time i can't picture it <laughs> all right chucky you're on the board first uh you get a point and you get to select our next category where are we going next man all right we're gonna go with tv my favorite thing um the performer i'm about to talk about with great admiration is more of a character than a mortal man he is a Chicago celebrity and has been on television in some way, shape, or form my entire 43 years on this planet. He started at local WFLD Fox 32 in the fall of 1970 in September, a couple months before, that's the month of my birthday. So a couple years before I was born, he hit the airwaves. This hippie wisecracking vampire took the windy city by storm or strong wind with the show then titled Screaming Yellow Theater. Every Saturday night, this horror creature feature broadcaster excited and amused Chicagoans with rubber chickens, a talking skull head named Zelda, later named Tombstone, and zinger after zinger about how bad the movie showing was that night. And of course, musical numbers throughout. Jerry G. Bishop, the alter ego, lasted until 1973 only, from 1970 to 1973, when the man behind the psychedelic coffin decided to depart from the station that Ghoulie built to move to San Diego and start hosting morning news. After Bishop left, the station still tried to replace the time slot with a different horror host out of Ohio named The Ghoul, but it was very short-lived and a rejected failure, leaving the character of Sven Gulli in limbo until a fresh-faced broadcasting student named Rich Coase, a, uh, a fan of Screaming Yellow Theater, writing Bishop fan letters and jokes throughout his run, 
Uh, he took over the coffin in 1979 with a slightly updated and newer 80s and uh, 80s version. Chicago was then introduced to the son of Sven Gulli. To give you an idea of the fandom uh, he has up here in Chicago, he's up there with Bozo the Clown as far as Chicago local icons go. I know most major cities have some sort of local TV horror host, the proper name, horror host, uh, but nobody had our uh, master of ceremonies, Sven Gulli. Uh, that I'm very proud to report from the future. Now, still on television under the name Just Sven Gulli, because he's all grown up now, and still doing it on Saturday nights, 8 p.m. Central on MeTV. If you get MeTV where you're at, color yourself lucky. Uh, the time has come for scary things, like vampire ghosts and vampire wings, like horrible movies, all drippy and drooly, and horrible hosts like me, Sven Gulli. Yes, often imitated, never duplicated. Ladies and gentlemen, the original Sven Gulli Screaming Yellow Theater premiered September 18th, 1970. And I recommend the documentary if you're interested in horror hosts and this kind of thing in your, in your city. Uh, American Scary is a great documentary and it covers a lot of different horrors from Elvira to Vampira to the Crypt Keeper, everything. And Sven Gulli even, the original Sven Gulli did his last interview on that documentary. Um, and then this book, if you're interested, um, is awesome. I just finished it. It's called uh, Chicago TV Horror Movie Shows uh, Shock Theater to Svengooli. And uh, that's on Amazon. Great book if you're into that kind of thing. So, yeah. Svengooli. Hail to the king. Svengooli. Svengooli. Berwin. And Berwin is where I'm from <laughs> in Illinois. He makes fun of it. All right, Joe, uh, what did you bring for the television round? Uh, well, first, before I get my pick going, the uh, the woman in the uh, Billy Idol video was Betsy Lynn George. I, oh, I, I did look that up. Um, but I want to take you to June 18th of 1990. Uh, we're going to take you to an episode of television that the storyline for which was actually number 50 in TV Guide's 100 Most Memorable TV Moments. And it was ranked number 70 on the greatest TV episodes of all time. Uh, this was a huge deal. This was actually uh, a cliffhanger episode, a season finale. It was the season three finale of Star Trek The Next Generation called The Best of Both Worlds Part One. In this episode, our dear Captain Picard gets kidnapped by the Borg and assimilated into the Borg, making him Locutus of Borg. Uh, it was a really big deal. It was a highly viewed episode. It was actually ranked, again, by TV Guide. It was the number eight episode of all time through all Star Trek series. Uh, it won Emmys. This one episode won Emmys for uh, Outstanding Art Direction and Sound Editing. Episode two, the conclusion, was actually the season premiere, which also aired in 1990, but I'm focusing mainly on part one right now. Uh, but yeah, it was this gigantic deal. And what was interesting was later on, they actually took part one and part two and put them together and turned them into a feature film that went straight to video on Laserdisc and a few other places. But uh, but yeah, that's what I've got. The best of both worlds, part two. Captain Picard is, is part of the Borg. Woo! <laughs> All right, so for my television pick this week, uh, debuting in 1980, uh, I found an article here. It's Saturday, September 6th. It talks about all the new television shows uh, debuting in children's programming. And it notes the debut of this show, which I am picking this week. This is Fawns and the Happy Days Gang. So Arthur Fawns Fonzarelli and his dog, Mr. McCool, who mimics the Fonz every movement and gesture somehow, along with Richie Cunningham and Ralph Mouth, meet up with Cupcake, an alien girl from the future who pilots a malfunctioning time machine. So apparently, time machines seem to be the only thing that Fonzie can't fix. Because after the Fonz tries to fix the time machine, the gang become lost in time trying to find their way back to 1957. The show features the signature Hanna-Barbera style animation and uh, stars the voices of Henry Winkler, Ron Howard, Don Most, Didi Khan as Cupcake, Frank Welker as Mr. Cool, 
in the show's voice intro was provided by the legendary Wolfman Jack. So uh, the Fonz and the Happy Days gang aired during Happy Days' eighth season when Ron Howard and uh, Don Most had actually already left the show. Uh, When the series ended, the characters of Fonzie and his dog, Mr. Cool, were actually introduced into another show uh, that was equally as cringy. That was Laverne and Shirley in the Army. So I give you Fonz and the Happy Days Gang in 1980. So, so let's get something straight. The Happy Days Gang have encountered more than one alien? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Besides Mork, yes. <laughs> Honestly, when I first came across it, I'm like, I don't really remember this. And then I, I started watching a couple episodes today. And as soon as I saw the animation and, and the characters, I instantly like, oh, oh, I used to watch this all the time. I want to say they showed it in a block with it was like Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, Laverne and Shirley in the Army, and the Mork and Mindy cartoons would yes. all like play like kind of back to back or whatever. Yeah. Trying to pro- cross promote with the TV series that was still running. Yeah. Right. Totally. It was that time. <laughs> awesome. All right, man, Crush, let's throw it over to you. What is your verdict for the television round? All right, so let's recap. Let's go back to 1970, and he came with Sven Gulli. And I'm super proud of myself because when you said the name, I wrote it, and then you showed that book, and I spelled it correctly. S-V-E-N-G-O-L-O-O-L-I-E. I'm Yes, very good. I'm very proud. Look, I even wrote it on my notes with a star yes. next to it, right? That's, up top. Yeah, that's amazing. Because usually people, you know, spell it the other, you know, G O L E Y or. I was thinking yeah. that, but I actually spelled it that way because it was easier. <laughs> I was like, job, nobody's going to awesome. see this but me. Um, <laughs> I actually I've never seen Screaming uh, Yellow Theater before. It's a fucking strange name, but now that you told us it's on me TV, I will check that out because it. Now, you know, for a fact that that was like the first type of show where they did that, where they played a bad movie and then in between clips, they made fun of it. Oh, no, no. It wasn't a first type of show. It was the first time that he aired that character in Chicago. And there's he's still he's a very uh, he's like almost like a local like commercial. It's like everybody knows who Sven is in Chicago. But the show started in 1970 on September um, 18th. Um, so, and it's still going. Uh, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I follow. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you points though because it does kind of it flows into what we get years later as well. We get Joe Bob Riggs and driving theater and you know up all night. Elvira and, uh, still Elvira. around. You know? So still solid pick. And then we go. Uh, Joe came up and he said Star Trek, and I kind of just I lost interest. Um, just not a huge Star Trek fan. It's hard to judge. I'm kind of trying to. I'm judging where, you know, these are things that I would want to see or want to watch in Star Trek. The movies I could watch. The TV show could never do it. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. We'll come back to it. All right. So then Mark drops fucking Fonz and the Happy Days gang and they they fight <laughs> aliens or some shit. Um, and then you said Frank Welker's in it. And so I was like, is Transformers involved? <laughs> And then there's like in the army now oh, is Laverne involved or Shirley something. Join the with army. Laverne and Shirley. And then Fonzie and his talking dog join them. All right, same shit. I could see that. Lori Petty looks like one of them. Um but like the the biggest nugget that you dropped on me there was that Happy Days goes back to 1957 because I watched the show forever and you saved me from Googling what year is this shit. <laughs> so thank thank you for that. Uh, but you know what? I'm gonna have to give this round to Joe because uh, Joe came with the uh, the Betsy yeah. Lynn George info. I'm always googling shit in the beginning. That's the only reason because uh, Star Trek just doesn't cut it for me. <laughs> All right, Joe, you're on the board. The game is tied with Chucky. You have control of the board. You get to select our next category. Where are we going, man? All right. Well, let's go and have a look at the news round. So, October 12th, 1990, uh, the Austin Chronicle editorial staff decided to take a stab at predicting what Austin would be like in the year 2020. You can even imagine that far in the future. Uh, So, a bunch of their editorial staff each wrote their own article in this, it's essentially a magazine, like a news magazine, 
and they all came up with their own little things. And uh, while a lot of things were very Austin specific, some people stretched out a little bit more. And that's what we're going to be talking about right now. So uh, S. Emerson Moffat, he predicted that local grocery store Whole Foods would eventually become a national chain, which definitely came to light. Thank you very much for the $30 cucumber water. Uh, and uh, Richard and Barbara Silly, I think I'm going to that's how I'm going to assume it's pronounced. They predicted the rise of GMOs, the debit cards, smart technology, specifically for smart houses and including robots that'll help clean up your house. Can I get a Roomba anyone? Uh, but they had Nick Barbaro who just, he was not batten, uh, as well as the other people. He predicted the, uh, decriminalization of marijuana in Texas, which does not decriminalize marijuana. Uh, the, he ended the end of the petroleum age. All cars would be electric. Texas is still one of the biggest uh, oil states in the country, and he predicted universal health care and a national sta- sales tax, both of which not so much. So he took big swings, but he took he had big misses. But what was interesting is that some of the people got quite a bit uh, right in there. And then there were also some editors who talked all about the Austin music scene and how that was going to be a big deal. And that that's also true, but he got really specific to Austin and he's like, Oh yeah, this place is going to be the place. And I'm like, I don't know this place. So we just left all that out. But uh, yeah, they decided to take a, a stab 20 or 30 years in the future. And uh, they got a few hits. Nice. There were some pretty good ones in there. All right, Chucky, it is over to you. What did you bring for the news round? Well, I brought conventions are a huge, we're, we're a huge thing, are a huge thing. We don't know. We're, we're still kind of locked down here. Um, but conventions, you know, uh, this one in particular was the convention to kind of kick off all the others in, in many ways. The originator, um, the founder of the movement of all the Comic-Cons and Sci-Fi-Cons. And, uh, but in 1970, uh, Dorf and Richard Alf and Ken Kruger and Mike Towery and other contributors initially involved in a comic book and sci-fi club where meetings would be held at Kruger's Alert Books in Ocean Beach, California, where much of the foundation of the early Comic-Cons were frequent. Uh, In the 1960s, uh, Dorf, a Detroit-born comics fan, had uh, mounted uh, the Detroit uh, triple, uh, triple fan fairs uh, one of the first commercial comics fan conventions. Uh, when he moved to San Diego, California in 1970, he organized a one-day convention called the Golden State Comic or a mini-con, uh, later to be called the Golden State Comic-Con. On March 21st, 1970, uh, as kind of a dry run uh, for the larger convention coming up, he hoped on um, stage that would you know take over uh, for this. Uh, for this mini-con, they landed special guests Forrest J. Ackerman of horror fame, um, Walt Disney artist Mike Royer, um, and it drew nearly 100 spectators. <laughs> uh, March 21st, 1970, I give you the first San Diego Comic-Con organized and founded by Dorf and Alf. Uh, in the future is still one of the biggest pop culture media film conventions in the country, maybe the world. Uh, conventions in general were, are a huge cultural phenomenon. It's a way for fans and celebrities to hobnob, sign memorabilia, take photos that you'll cherish for the rest of your life with your favorite Wookiee or Hobbit. Uh, and uh, I've, I myself have been to dozens of Chicago conventions. Uh, the now defunct Wizard World Con went to like a dozen of those in the 90s. And the current C2E2 that's held every year and started back up this year, thank God. Um, and the online convention spawned since our, you know, pandemic. Uh, And yeah, the evolution continues with this Comic-Con junk. (laughs) Good one. All righty. So for my news selection uh, this week, uh, let's go over to a story I found in the Los Angeles Times, uh, February 6, 1980. The headline reads, Future Play, Is It a Doll or a Friend? By Kenneth Freed. Uh, The year is 1999, the article says. And in the place is a recreation room in a middle-class Los Angeles home. Built into the wall is a large screen with a computer terminal below it. A teenage boy sits at the computer watching the screen intently. 
he is playing an intricate strategy game with competitors in New York, London, Mexico City, and Tokyo. So this lengthy article goes on to predict what the future of toys are going to look like. One inventor, who declined to allow us to use his name for fear that competitors might learn something about his work, described a child directing a large battle between armies of toy soldiers simply by using his voice. Uh, Robert Doyle, he was an astronomer, turned toy inventor, sees an expansion and increasing sophistication of handheld games. Uh, Calculator-like devices, which resemble a small princess telephone, but his central vision is combining television and computers for game playing. Not like the video games of today, but live, worldwide games, played on computers with the events of the games simultaneously appearing on TV screens. But, you know, I don't think they got everything right in this article. Uh, the article closes by saying Randolph Barton, he's the vice president of Parker Brothers and the grandson of the founder. He says most of our toys are electronic, only if that is the way to do it. Uh, Monopoly, for instance, will never be computerized. So that being said, here's a free plug for Parker Brothers. Download Monopoly, available today in the App Store. So uh, it's the future of toys as seen in 1980. That's what I have for my news round. Let's throw this over to Man Crush for his verdict on the news round from the future. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's start from the top. We got 1990. Joe goes to Austin. I heard Austin smells like piss. Oh, <laughs> actually, just I heard that. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, it's a good find, an article from 1990, and uh, they hit on a couple of things. They missed on a couple of things, so it's uh, it's kind of 50-50. But then uh, let's go back to the bottom here. So then uh, 1980, Mark brings future plays, kind of the same as yours. And you got more predictions. And the only one that I really remember was uh, the Monopoly thing you said at the end because I bought Monopoly on the Xbox a couple of years ago. I'm that big of a shitty gamer where I have Monopoly on Xbox. And I'm the only one that plays it because it's fucking too long for them. Uh, let's see. And then 1970. Dude, you lost me so many times. Did you say it was a Golden Shower Comic Con? <laughs> and the Golden States? Something about Alf and Steven Dorf, that guy from Blade. That was their name. That was the founders of the Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con's names. That was their names were Alf and Dorf. Steven Dorf and Alf? And Alf. Yeah. Apparently, they're the ones who started Comic Con. <laughs> I, I think we got an answer to what drugs uh, Gary Marshall was on when he made that happy day. <laughs> that giggle cabbage. You know? <laughs> Stephen Dorf and Elf, they were the founders of the Golden State Comic Con. <laughs> so you were in Blade. I eat cats. Ha! They kill me. Seriously, though, uh, as far as like news go, I got to go with Chucky here because his is the only one that's like a real thing that, you know, it's still going. You And both of you guys, you came with predictions both of you so I, I can't pick which predictions better I'm than just, the other yeah one. i just i mean this is something that's still going today is comic-con you yeah know? they even stay yeah, they're I, I, I miss going up, they, they're starting it back up this year i'm sorry let me add that they started to this year is the first year they're back in like two years and before the the pandemic they never they didn't stop since 1970 all the way until like 2020 whatever but it started as the golden shower comic-con which is interesting right the golden shower con it was a mini con it had you know uh forest acker acker snatch and freaking uh you know the artist Alf guy peed on steven dorf guy so <laughs> and they signed autographs all day and <laughs> steven dorf and alf they were the founders <laughs> until alf or no Dor dorf left and then alf took over and ate cats i, <laughs> I would have won I would have went until I saw Stephen Dorff in that douchey vape commercial that he used to be in. Most of Stephen Dorff's career is a douchey vape commercial. Why'd you remind me of that? Gosh. <laughs> it just killed him. In a vampire. In a vampire. 
<laughs> now, are we sure that it was two people? <laughs> Steven Dorf and A tiny little golfer comes in to help start Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> Led by Dorf and Elf. They were the leaders. And then there was these other Kruger, don't remember Kruger. Kruger was in there part of that. When he wasn't haunting dreams, he was organizing comedy. Steven was vaping in the corner. <laughs> Douche. And Freddy's wise cracking and killing teenagers on the side. So makes sense to right. me. Thank I, you. I win. Not only a good golden shower Comic Con. We all love it. <laughs> All right, so Chucky's actually up. Yeah. We're, All right, we're in, the, look at that. we're in the big boy rounds, though. All right, so on that note, Chucky, you uh, you jump out to the lead here in this one. We are heading to our first two-point round. You are ahead two to one. What category are we going with next? This is Harbor down to two, and, uh, you know, I'm going to close out with a good one, so we're going to go with next. We're going to go with, um, let's stick with comic books, shall we? Um, parents and children's section of the good old Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, Daily Freeman, January 19th, January 2nd, 1970. This article was, I don't, I kid you not. This article was written by Arthur Arthur. <laughs> Headline is, are comic books good or bad? Comic books as they now exist hardly need to be read. The pictures tell most of the, all of the story. And so it is futile to suggest that slow learning children learn to read best through exposure to comic books. Regrettably, such claims put the cart, the cart before the horse. It is more likely, though there is no significant research on either side of the argument, that because of their addiction to comic books, may children simply refuse to wean from them. And it is precisely these children who prefer, quote unquote, to learn to read as best they can from the only printed material they know. The unfamiliarity of regular comic books frightens them, and that is what turned many of them into slow readers in the first place. The fault does not like the fault does not lie with the medium. There is no reason why comic books could not be literature and interesting to small children or well illustrated and colorful beyond the four garish colors that they now employ uh this is no reason they must limit themselves either to funny animals that act like simple-minded adults violent action dramas or emasculate comic book versions of classics but most of the current comic books for small children do limit themselves to these three classifications the fact uh, children like comic books is no criteria of value. Kids, kid, oh, <laughs> kids like smoking pot, taking LSD, stealing cars, and other less des uh, less than desirable activities. And this is up to you as a parent to steer them into more fruit fruitful activities and to provide them with the materials that are nourishing. So this is the light in which you should regard your children's comic book reading. It's not a crime, but you should discourage it, especially if it is habitual. Preferably, you should turn your child onto real books in the earliest years to let them savor the quality, variety, and style illustration, experience the stimulation they provide. Uh, these retold classics, comic books form will ruin the real thing for your child forever. Uh, having read the comic book version, your child will believe that he knows the story. He'll resist making the effort to read the original and will become less literate and uh, experienced than, the, than he might have been. He is likely to turn into a slow thinker. So let's tie this into the future. As you uh, might have already um, gathered, this guy's kind of a, um, a D-bag, huh? <laughs> so basically, <laughs> Arthur Arthur, uh, 1970, Arthur Arthur, um, were all about art and less about the reading as or they were more about the reading aspect and less about the art um and back in the 1950s i guess when cowboys army tales and horror comics were uh, in its humble uh, humble uh, beginnings uh they were better suited for kids according to arthur arthur uh but he's from wisconsin so let's not take his opinion with a grain of salt <laughs> um yeah, it sounds like it's an excuse, but uh, he just sounds like a dick. Yeah, he just uh, 
you know, I mean, uh, internet uh, complainers, you know, we, does this remind you of anything? Uh, the, the original's better. You know, we all been guilty of that. And, you know, this kind of, this guy kind of uh, 1970 was ahead of the, put his, his cart ahead of the horse, as, as he put it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody complains on the internet nowadays. And um, even further, comic book-based stories and movies, TV st- streaming shows, uh, you name it, you know, Marvel, DC, a uh, huge, huge in the future here. Uh, apparently some heat, had some heat back in January 2nd, 1970. Thank you, Arthur, Arthur. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the Hunt Products round? Oh, wow. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you a video game, and it is a game that was set in the year 2560, Ooh. because that's a hell of a jump. At least they didn't do that thing that makes me feel old, where like in the year 2015, and you're like, oh, God. Soiling <laughs> green is people. You, bet, you betcha. So the game's set in the year 2560, when humanity's multiple networks with alien life forms had resulted in the expansion of Earth's social framework. This led to commercial, technological, and cultural interchanges between planets. The multi-billionaires who earned their wealth through intergalactic trade were mainly satisfied with their lifestyle lifestyles although most coveted more entertainment in their lives this resulted in a new entertainment based on formula one races to be grounded to be founded with vehicles that could hover one foot above the track these grand prix races were soon named f-zero i give you the second game ever released for the super nintendo entertainment system released well i guess technically tied for the first because only two games were released on opening day and that was super mario world and f-zero for the super nintendo uh the game sold ended up selling 2.85 million copies uh it was it was literally a game that every person i knew who owned a super Nintendo had that game. I still, to this day, know, like even without playing super smash brothers where the song exists, I would be able to like belt off that main F zero, uh, like track that dun, 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 dun. like, and it hits so hard. And then, you know, just to have some legs, even though cars don't have legs, captain Falcon, one of the four, Original F-Zero racers, which include Dr. Stuart Pico and Samurai Goro, Captain Falcon is still available to play in those uh, Super Smash Brothers games. So uh, that's what I give you is F-Zero, one of the original Super Nintendo games. November 21st, 1990. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I, that's the only racing game I actually like. I bought that. Or I didn't buy it. I rented the hell out of it when it came out. I used to run it all the time. What system did it come out when it first came out in 90? Super Nintendo. So I thought. All right. All right. So uh, for my futuristic hunt product, I give you the book of predictions. Just in case uh, you didn't like the last predictions, here's <laughs> some more. This one is a compendium of 4,000 exclusive predictions from various experts. And I will read to you all 4,000. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I'll Google which ones were accurate. <laughs> I no, because my my segment took up too much time, so now you got to cut yours down to at least twenty, maybe fifteen, maybe fifteen. You, the the first one and the last one. <laughs> All right. So this book was edited by the family of David Wallachinsky, Amy Wallace, and Irving Wallace. It was published in 1980. Uh, So let's take a look at some of the predictions that were included in this book. It says by 2028, solar-powered satellites will be supplying 90% of the world's energy. By 2030, $10 will barely buy a cup of coffee. I think that's already come true. Uh, The book says that in 1989, Roger Maris's home run record of 61 will be broken by someone hitting 63 of them. So I think they were a few years off and a few home runs off on that one, but they got it. I'm going to give them that one. This book actually predicts that by 2024, menstruation will be optional (laughs) and that by 2030, people of 21 years of age or under will no longer be deformed, sick, stupid, neurotic, undernourished, or even ugly, at least according to economists named Felix Kaufman. So a, a review of the book, 
I found in uh, the Messenger Inquirer but out of Owensboro, Kentucky. says uh, that a lot of the uh, forecasts and predictions in the book come by experts who actually predict things that are already in their field. Albert Ellis, a sexologist, wrote that sex, who wrote the book Sex Without Guilt, predicts that in the future, surprise, there will be more sex without guilt. And uh, Sherry Height, a feminist sex researcher, forecasts that by the year 2000, sexual intercourse, it's not going to be as popular as it is today. Sorry. There was a, uh, a, a novelist, Erskine Caldwell, who said that the law of gravity will be repealed in 2030 and facelifts will no longer be necessary. Uh, but probably my favorite prediction out of all of these uh, came from a psychic astrologer. Uh, Lori Bradley, who predicted that in 1984, Muhammad Ali will enjoy great prosperity in a field other than boxing and will be grossly overweight at the time. <laughs> Personally, I think she was seeing visions of George Foreman in his grill yeah. about a decade <laughs> later. But so I give you the book of predictions from 1980. All right, man crush, let's throw it over to you. How do you see the hot products round? Holy shit. That's how I see it. Uh, <laughs> let's start from the top. Chucky. Dude, I don't even know what your, what your shit was. <laughs> I was laughing my fucking balls off because you were talking about uh, little kids that talk slow and you were reading that shit like <laughs> backwards time. I was like, <laughs> is he fucking with me or what? Um uh, so yeah, <laughs> no. So uh, you're not getting this round. <laughs> and then uh, Joe, you came with uh, F Zero. <laughs> you know, I actually I used to really like F Zero. I never had the Super Nintendo. My friend Pat had it, and the only time I got to play F Zero was at his house because I was the cool kid with the TurboGrafx 16 and only like two fucking games. Because you could never buy them anywhere, so I always had to go to somebody else's house. Moral of the story, don't get TurboGrafx-16, but that was a cool-ass game. Uh, and Mark, that sounds like gold. You found a book of predictions, and mostly everything you said sucks a lot. came true. Uh, I mean, cl you, as close as you can come. I mean, some of them are, are off, obviously. but You should know Miss Cleo. Yeah, the menstruation <laughs> one, the, you know, that's one that probably they can work on. But uh, I'll give you, I'm going to give this one to Mark. All I'm right. Go with the book of predictions. All right. So I pick up two points. I tie this game up with Chucky. We're heading into the final round, the movies round. We're bringing this one home right here, guys. Uh, so the tagline for this movie that came out in 1980 was... The Power of Rock in 1994. And if you love futuristic musical disco orgies with rapey songs about coming, then boy, do I have a movie for you. And this one, it's fun for the whole family. Because shockingly, this one's rated PG. <laughs> so let's go to the LA Times, December 4th, 1980, for one of the most savage reviews I have ever found of a film. Uh, Menachem Golem and Yoram Globus, the men who brought you The Magician of Lubin, among other atrocities, have seen the future. And it stinks. Or so says their latest. The Apple, a big budget musical whose only inspired conceit is using Faust and Adam and Eve as metaphors for life in show business. The article goes on by saying, Everyone associated with this project is so hopelessly untalented and misguided <laughs> that within minutes it becomes clear that they even lack the false creative energy that often makes trash funny. <laughs> to say the sets and actors' makeup look tacky is putting it mildly. The apple looks like a painted whore. Avoid it like the plague. <laughs> That is one of the most savage <laughs> reviews I have ever heard. So I give you the futuristic musical orgy movie, The Apple, by Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus from Canon Films, November 21st, 1980. Masterpiece. 
Wow. The apple looks like a painted whore. <laughs> Avoid it like the plague. <clears throat> now that should be on the poster. <laughs> Sounds like a better tagline than what it was. <laughs> it did, didn't have to. Nobody saw the poster. Yeah. All right, Joe Finley, let's kick it over to you. What did you bring for the movies round? Well, before I get to that, I wanted to say just because right when you said the Apple, it made me think of one story uh, when all the reviews and stuff came in. I believe it was Golan tried to jump out of his hotel window and Golan's <laughs> had to stop him. So uh, that's kind of where that movie was. Why are you stealing my thunder, you review. fuck? You oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was after all the people walked out of the screener. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and everyone hated go. it. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that great was, story. Oh, uh, it's the best. That no, there is no better story. Why has why has there not been like a recreation, like kind of like what they did no. with the disaster <laughs> artist? Why has there not been a movie just about like oh, two actors playing Golden Globus and that whole story? I'd watch that shit. I would watch that shit or a series even better because so much shit happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Especially like nineteen eighty was it nineteen eighty seven where they made all those movies. Yeah. You'd need a fucking couple seasons for that. Oh, no doubt. All right. So let us go uh, to June 1st, 1990. Uh, the movie I want to talk about takes place in the year 2084 and is based on a Philip K. Dick story. And the story was called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. Uh, I give you a construction worker named Douglas Quaid who seeks a little adventure in his life after he's experiencing recurring dreams of himself on Mars with a mysterious woman. Uh, he goes to a company that will actually implant memories in you and he implants a memory of Mars. And then all of a sudden his life goes topsy turvy when he's attacked by multiple people, finds out that his current life is actually a memory implant and finds out that he was in on it himself as his alter ego, Hauser. I give you Total Recall. I wanted to say a different wrong title just to be a dick, but <laughs> I give you... <laughs> I give you My Girl. <laughs> you know how many times I've wanted to do that? <laughs> uh, but the give you the direct- apple. Yeah, the movie's directed by Paul Verhoeven, stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, and some Verhoeven uh, re- like recurring people like Michael Ironsides, Ronnie Cox, Marshall Bell, and uh, Rachel Tocotin plays the love interest who uh, looks a lot like his a lot of his love interests who looks a lot like the secret mother of his baby. I don't know, just saying. Uh, the movie was the highest or the second highest grossing film of the summer of 1990 it was the seventh highest grossing movie of the year. It actually won the Oscar for best visual effects. It was nominated for two additional ones, both in sound. Uh, it was, it's a fun movie. And since the man himself isn't here to do this, I will do it for him. If you like three titted hookers and mutants and guys who have vagina faces and parasitic twins that living in your stomach uh, and giant drills and eyeballs popping out of your head when you lack oxygen, then I recommend for you total recall. All right, Chucky, what did you bring for the movies round? Oh boy. How am I supposed to how am I supposed to uh, follow all this? You know, total recall on the Apple? Jeez. Well, I'm gonna do my best here. Uh TV shows obviously in the or movies in the nineteen seventies were TV for that matter was all just bonkers like this show's been. Uh, and um uh, if you were a kid growing up then you got the best of the best, you know, like Hanna Barbera cartoons in the morning and Ruby Spears, and of course, the wonderful world of Sid and Marty Croft. The others I mentioned who had also had Saturday morning animated shows, uh, whereas Croft Productions uh, being already hired uh, from the Banana Splits in 1968. So they're working on the Banana Splits, and then that led to them to be offered their Saturday morning series, uh, which then blew up in 1970 and continued with other similar uh, but very different shows with titles like uh, The Hit Land of the Lost, Midsville, Incredible Mr. Shrinker, The Bugaloos, and of course the former mentioned Fantasy Opus, uh, H&R Puff and stuff. Uh, The show followed the adventures of Jimmy who lost his way by ocean only to wash up onto the shores of Living Island, shipwrecked, and realized his trusty flute named Freddy that out of nowhere can now talk uh, Jimmy is welcomed to the island 
locals cling and clang, an evil witch who's hell-bent on stealing young Jimmy's flute for her own collection. Uh, last but not least, the mayor, a giant yellow technicolor dragon named Puffin Stuff. No, you're not on drugs, but in this, there is 60s musician Mama Cass Elliot as a as witch hazel. Uh, just might be on drugs. Uh, the legendary uh, kids' morning psychedelic trip led to a feature film, is what I'm getting to. Uh, as most kid-friendly properties do, it grossed 296,000 guests for 1970. That's pretty good. Uh, I tie I tie the crops to our future because thank the gods. Sid Croft is 92 years old and Marty Croft is 84 years old. And goddamn, yes, they are still doing shit in 2022, creating shows like Mutton Stuff and say the Sigmund and the Sea Monster reboot. Both brothers do weekly YouTube and Instagram shows, fielding questions and talking to their illustrious, talking about their illustrious career. Both have gone on record saying, we do not and never did drugs, so stop asking. <laughs> where Sid Croft, where Sid Croft at 92 years old did say later, I did inhale. He admitted he inhaled. <laughs> so there it is, June 15th, 1970, the release of the HR Puffin Stuff motion picture running an hour and 38 minutes of glory. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. But let's hear what Man Crush has to say on his verdict for the movies round. Oh, come on, guys. This is this is a fucking slam dunk. Uh, the 80, uh, 1980, we got the Apple. The points, you know, you got to get them. Golden and Globus, you know, I love canon, but it's a piece of shit. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> uh, uh, Chucky, would. You said something about uh, stealing Jimmy's flute and Bill Clinton or something. <laughs> so, no, that one's out. So, I, got, you know, I got to go Total Recall. I mean, how can you not? I mean, it didn't matter what you guys brought. Oh, I mean, come on. Three boobs. Three yeah. boobs. <laughs> Was there any other part of that movie? I don't recall. Nope. Something about Mars? Eyes getting, eyes getting sucked out of their head. And yeah, I saw the remake. There's no Mars. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Congratulations, Joe. <laughs> Thank you very much. Congratulations, Joe. You've given me so many wins in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you bastards in, in, in the fourth in the fourth uh, appearance. When I come back, I will have my revenge. You believe you, me. <laughs> you mean when you come back? In the future. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think March just won. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations to the media king of the North, Mr. Joe Finley, for pulling out a much-earned victory on this one. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up on Miscast Commentary and on your awesome YouTube channel. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, Miscast Commentary, we're still rocking and rolling. We're in the middle of uh, catching up on our Marvel Cinematic Universe movies right now, and we got some other fun stuff going on in there. Uh, and uh, I'm in the middle of actually rebranding my uh, Miscast Joe YouTube channel just with different uh, graphics and stuff like that. And I'm taking it big from uh, Mr. Mark James and branding it around the Media King of the North. Whoa! Oh, so nice. First I hear of this. <laughs> Huge, yeah. I, I, it's only, it's only just been in development. Wow. I have, I've got a logo uh, that's been designed, and uh, we're, I'm working on some stuff with that right now. But uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Nice. All right, Chucky. Why don't you tell everybody what you got going on over at Garbage Pail Flicks? What don't I have going on? I um, I'm gonna probably be doing some more episodes in 2022. I'm gonna kind of switch gears a little bit instead of uh, you know, focusing on just me talking all the time. I'll have some guests, more guests on this year, and I do have a YouTube channel that um has all the uploads of all past episodes, and also I uh, convert commercials from the past. If you like to watch old commercials like I do. And uh, feel that little fuzzy feeling inside with jingles like, you know, Double Mint Gum and whatnot. Uh, yeah, head over to my Garbage Pail Flicks VHS um, channel and look at some uh, awesome retro stuff from the past, not the future at all. <laughs> Garbage Pail Flicks. And I'm also Werewolf of Berwin on Instagram. Follow me there. And I do Twitch streams sometimes. Uh, I'll put 
this past uh, holiday, I ran a almost 12 hour uh, block of the old Nickelodeon You Can't Do That on Television series on my Twitch channel. And uh, that went on for about 12 hours for everybody who remembers that show and uh, knows that it's really hard to find and not very uh, uh, known anymore. Wow. So, you know, got to keep that uh, nostalgia alive, guys. All right, duelers. Well, if you've missed an episode of our show and you want to catch up, you can always head over to duelingdecades.com. And that's where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. While you're on those interwebs, uh, you can have it over to facebook.com forward slash duelingdecades, where you can uh, check out our Facebook group uh, and post some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.